Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 12. Beside this, you know the time and the, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your fresh filling, Lord, of your spirit now. Lord, as I preach your word, help me to be sensitive to all the ways that you're guiding me. Father, I pray for each of us that our hearts would be prepared to receive from you, God, your word. And as I pray, Lord, that we would be more than hearers of your word, but doers of it. So God, exalt your name, glorify your name through the preaching of your word now. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. By the way, just an, uh, also, if you're here and you want to give to Prince Paul uh, and you forgot your checkbook or whatever, we did this in the past, we'll do it again. All you have to do is write an IOU, how much you want to give in your name, and just stick it in a special offering box so that when we're done with both services today, we'll cut one check to Prince Paul, and we'll just trust that you'll send in the offering. Make sure you mark it as for Prince Paul when you do bring in the check or whatever, but we want to provide that. So uh, just another update, and uh, wow. Are the Packer fans gone today? I, I, hey, I, I'm a Packer fan. I hope we have the same experience that the Vikings fans had last week. They go home and they find out their team won, right? That's what I'm hoping. You, you know, here's why. Because I can go home then, and I know that the Packers have won, so I know the end result, Right? So now I can watch the game and not get all worried, right? So if Rodgers throws three interceptions, who cares? We win the game at the end, right? And no matter what chaos happens, no matter what occurs, no worries. We win in the end. Do you realize that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 13? In these verses from 11 to 14, what he's saying is, is, you know what? You live a holy life and you love others in the present in light of Jesus' future return. You know how it ends. Let's take a look at God's word again. Romans chapter 13, 10 through 11. I'm going to go back one verse because they're tied together. It's important to see this. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We talked about that last week. Besides this, so he's saying, you love your neighbor, you love others, because it fulfills the law. Not for salvation, but walking in obedience. And he says, besides this, here's another reason why you love others. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And Matthew 24, 42 to 44, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let the house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What we see in the Word of God in the New Testament in particular is that the Bible divides time into two categories and just two. 
There is the present age and the age to come. The present age is the time between Jesus' first coming when he came as the Lamb of God. He came to uh, fulfill all that the law required. He came and he lived an absolutely perfect, sinless life because that is what is required to spend eternity in heaven with God. Well, we've all failed in that. So Jesus lived that perfect life, met the, all the fulfillment of the law. Then he went to the cross and was punished for, some, for people's sins that were not his own. And that's why God could be just that all sins of all believers were paid for. God didn't just say, ah, oh, well, they weren't so bad. All of a Christian's sins were paid for. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. The first coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And the present age is between then and his second coming when he will come as the Lion of Judah, bringing judgment. I always say it's when Jesus comes back and he says, it's closing time, boys. And the kingdom of God is established for all eternity. That's the present age. The age to come is Jesus' second coming when he comes through. And it is the next event in God's redemptive plan. Jesus' second coming. We're looking forward to it. Yes, Lord, maybe today. Now, I want to say this, that so many people like to set the date for when Jesus is coming again, right? That is so unbiblical. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day or the time, the hour, but you'll be able to look outside and you'll be able to see the signs. And I think we're seeing some pretty good signs right now. Because you'll look outside and you'll see that the, the sky is red, so you know there's a storm coming. And we look in God's Word and we see what's happening all around the world, the disrespect for human life. Uh, as I, Lisa and I were talking the other day, I said, this is almost beyond sin because now people are p- playing God. And that's scary. And so we see signs. We can't pick the day, though, because that's not biblical. Jesus is showing up... Okay, those of us that are older Christians, we, I can't remember the dates, but how many times do you remember saying, well, Jesus is coming back like September whatever? In, in, right? Right? Do you remember that, guys? All you old school people, we're all nodding. So some of you younger ones, that's the craziness that was out there. Jesus should have probably come back at least five times by now. And so, but one day he is coming. We don't know that day. But we look at the signs and we say, you know what? It's getting closer. And that's, that's the point that is being made here in the section of Scripture. He's not saying that Jesus' return is imminent. What Paul is saying is that from the time when you first received that gift of salvation to the time where you received this Romans letter, the time between then and when Christ comes is shorter. Okay, I got saved uh, 83 you know what, I'm closer today to Jesus coming than I was then. And when people ask me, they say, well, what, 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 is your, uh, what do you believe happens in the end times? You know, are you pre-millennial, post-millennial, etc., millennial? And I just say, hey, I know this much. I am one day closer today than I was yesterday. God's going to work it all out. I'm not going to get into that one because people can argue all they want about that and they have good arguments, but I just know that today we're a day closer than yesterday. And what we see is that his coming is, is getting closer. 
because between the day that we were saved till now is shorter. Did you know that when we think of salvation, salvation is, is really in, in three different ways. First of all, salvation in the past is when you were justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. You were justified. And there is a salvation, a saving that's happening today as you're becoming sanctified by God's grace, becoming more like Jesus. And this final beautiful picture of our salvation when it is fully complete is when, in the future when we will be with Christ and we will be glorified with him. So in a sense, salvation has a past, present, and future sense to it. And that's part of what he's talking about here, what Paul is, is dealing with. And he's saying, you know what? Think about that. Think about the end. You know, the world lives carelessly. The world lives carelessly as though human history is going to go on forever, that there's no end to it. Keep living, whatever, hey. Have fun, because there's no worries. It's not going to end. Those Christians are crazy. So the world lives without a care about tomorrow. The Bible says that we as believers should be different. It has a, a word in here. It says, loved, uh, verse 11, Besides this, you know that the time, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. That term sleep is a metaphor for moral laxity. In other words, it's a picture of Christians tolerating sin in their lives. The picture of Christians not pursuing holiness, it's sleeping, being lazy, whatever. And we see that again, you know, we also, therefore, stay awake. Do you not know that the day of the Lord is coming? Because of the crucial nature of the hour, God is calling Christians to be awake. Don't sleep. Be awake, which means walk in holiness. Be awake. The times are short. He's coming back again. Look ahead. So be awake. Be alert. Just like that thief coming, if you knew the time, I, I liked it. I, I like the picture better of, you know, if you used to babysit somebody's kids and took care of their house, right, you would always ask them, about what time do you think you're coming home, right? Why did you ask them that? Well, first of all, if their kids were brats, you couldn't wait for that time. But mostly, you didn't want to leave the house a mess, right? So you kind of figured, oh, we'll be back around 9. So you'd let the kids or do whatever, and then right around 8.15, you'd start cleaning the house. Why? Because you knew the parents were coming back around that time. And it's kind of like that with us. Jesus is saying, stay awake. You don't know when that time is. So don't be lax. Pursue holiness. Don't tolerate sin. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security. Then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. That's the heart of the world. They're in darkness. Verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of day. You are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake 
and be sober. We see that terminology again used. Saying, stay awake. There should be a great contrast between the way a Christian lives and the way someone who is lost living in the world is. It's the difference between being asleep and being awake. The difference between uh, night and day. Darkness and light. Drastic contrast in those. That's the intent for all the terminology that the Spirit of God is putting upon Paul's heart as he's writing these verses. He's saying There's got to, there should be a drastic difference in the way that you live. You see, because the world is characterized by deeds of darkness. That's what he's saying here. And that's also what he's saying in Romans 13, 12 through 13. Take a look at this. Oh, there we go. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And then we go to Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is, the found, is found in all the good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What he's saying is there's deeds of darkness. And this list here of six is not meant to be comprehensive. It's simply representative. But it is interesting, the, the composition of this particular list, because we see that the first four deal with morality, action. You know, we have here uh, orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality. And then the last two are really relational sins in quarreling and jealousy. He's saying, don't walk in that darkness. Isn't it interesting how we as the church will condemn the first four, but we kind of put up with the last two? But they're all listed together. He's saying, you know what? This whole idea is that our attitudes are just as destructive as our actions. We can be jealous. We might not ever show that. But it's in our hearts. And he's saying, you know what? Be careful. It's not just what happens on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside of your life. We talked again about that last week. That it's a matter of, you know what? Be careful. Don't walk in deeds of darkness. Jealousy is included in that and quarreling. We see that God is using all these things. And he's saying, you know what? As children of the light, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't just cast off sleepiness. Don't just cast off tolerance of sin or not pursuing Jesus. But I, I want you to do something else. I want you to put on something. So you cast off and you put on. Put on the armor. Put on this armor for the unseen spiritual battle. You didn't sign up for, but you are in, guarantee. Again, take a look at God's word. Ephesians, the most famous armor of God section, right? Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, wait... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given, to, given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with, with which you, will, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication so that to that end, keep alert. There we go, the word again. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So he's saying, you, 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 take, you, you cast off these certain things and you put on something else. And you put on this armor of God. That's this armor of light. What is that armor of light? And when we look at the armor, we realize that he's, as it's described here in Ephesians, the armor is salvation, helmet of salvation. It's the gospel of peace. All the truths that are found in the Gospels we're finding out in Romans. You know, the first 11 chapters laying out the basic Gospel step by step by step. And as he lays out that theology, the Gospel, then what happens is we find in 12, 13, 14, 15, the, the application of that based on what was just said in the first 11 chapters. And so when we look at this, we realize that, you know what? Our armor of light is our salvation. The faith that God has given us. We see that it is about truth. It is about righteousness. That is the armor that we are to put on. That is the armor. In other words, it's the gospel. Put on the armor of light. Take all those truths about the gospel and embrace them and hold them and walk in them. And there is only one Offensive weapon in all of this, isn't there? The sword of the Spirit. Only one offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. And then I love how he follows that up. He says, okay, you want to go on the offensive, believers? Then you pick up the sword. You wield the sword of the Word of God. Know the Word of God. That's why it's so important for us. That's why we go through the Word of God here on Sunday sermons. Because that is our, our weapon against the plans of the enemy. That is what builds our faith and our hope, helps us to understand who God is and who we are. And so we have the word of God that is planted deep in our hearts, and that is a weapon to resist the enemy. And we see that he follows that up with, he says uh, in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times. There's another offensive weapon, praying. He says, pick no God's word. No God's word. That's your offensive weapon. Know it. It'll show you who you are and who God is. And that weapon put together with praying. That's why another thing that we love to do in this church is we love to pray the word of God. Every week we send out a, a, a section of scripture and we ask you to pray through that. Last week I think it was Psalm 34. And you pray through that. You just read God's word and you Worship him through what he's written in his word about who he is and who we are. And you see the combination of God's word and prayer as this incredible offensive weapon against the enemy. We put on the armor of light. 
How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, he explains it in these verses. He says that we put on the armor of light by putting on Jesus Christ. Take a look again at God's word. Continuing, verse 14, to conclude chapter 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the armor of light, and then he lists the things of darkness, and he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's two places in this small four verses where he says, put on. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we put on the armor of light. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 and 24. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Je- of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Colossians 3, 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What he's saying is put on Jesus Christ. And in one sense, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you already have done that. According to Galatians chapter 3, 27, it says that we put on Christ when we receive that gift of salvation. His spirit dwells within us at that moment. And so we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that sin no longer reigns in our lives, but it still remains, right? We're still struggling until we go to heaven. And because of that, we must put on Christ daily, moment by moment, to put on Christ in our, when we think of who we are in Christ, what he has done for us. That's a picture of what it's like to put on Christ. It means being like Jesus, putting on Christ. Because when you look at all these things listed in, um, in Ephesians, he's talking about humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's what Jesus gave us an example of, didn't he? Then we go to Colossians. Compassionate, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's Jesus. Saying, put on Christ. Be like him. Be like Christ, moment by moment. We put on Christ by God's grace when we receive the gift of salvation. And now he's saying, keep putting on Christ. Pursue being like Jesus. Value the things that Jesus values. Value the things Jesus values. Desire to be like Jesus. That's what it looks like when we put on Christ. It's a work of God in our hearts. It's God doing this work, but it's not just that. There's an effort on our part. He's saying, wake up. Wake up. Put on. Cast off. That's activity on our part. It's not just this stand back and, okay, God, let her rip. It's a matter of saying, you know what, God, I need your grace to do this. I can't do it without your grace, but you're going to empower me to walk in holiness. And he's saying, you know what, that's what I want. Put on the armor of light. Pursue being like Christ. And this sanctification that he's talking about, it flows from our union with Christ. That's why it says, Jesus said, listen, you got to abide in me. Or this fruit that we're talking about, the sanctification, this 
uh, humility and meekness, etc., etc., etc. You can't bear that fruit or the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. You can't bear that in your lives, produce that in your lives, unless you abide in Christ. So Jesus is saying, it's about me. It's about me. Abide in me. Delight in me. Spend time with me. And as you abide in me, as I am the vine, then you, the branches, will produce fruit, which is fruit of the Spirit, all these other things that are listed. So he's showing us how. The Word of God shows us how to do this, how to put on the armor of light by putting on Christ. And we put on Christ by abiding in him. And then the fruit is produced by God's grace and us trusting that God is doing a work. And we see here too in verse 14 that putting on Christ is a way to keep from making provision for the flesh. Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So part of not making any provision for the flesh, putting on Christ, delighting in God, abiding in Christ, desiring to be like Jesus. This word provision in Romans 13, 14, and make no provision, that literally means forethought. And make no forethought for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no forethought. What we find is this, that sin seldom just happens. It's premeditated. Let's be honest. We think about it. It's, just, it's not like, whoa, man, I don't know what happened to me there. I was just taken over. I just couldn't help myself. No, you thought about it. You entertained thoughts. And then all of a sudden, the fruit of that is the activity. It starts, as Scripture says, in our hearts. It starts in our hearts, goes to our mind, and it eventually works itself out in action. And so what he's saying is, listen, make no provision. Make no forethought for how you're going to gratify the desires of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, don't let your mind dwell on or be persuaded by the desires of gratification. Take your thoughts captive. How are you doing with that? This is my challenge for today. How are you doing that, in that? Do you dream about Mr. or Mrs. Wright? Read romantic novels and become, if you're a single person, so consumed with thinking that your joy will be complete if you're married, being discontent in what God has provided for you. Or if you're in a marriage, you're thinking that would be the perfect spouse. My spouse isn't like that. You can see how all of a sudden we entertain these thoughts and then down the road we sin. And, and the word of God is saying, listen, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Make no forethought for the gratification of the th- the flesh stop thinking about this stuff it's going to lead you to sin is what it's saying stop thinking about it you know what if you're married mr or mrs Wright is the person you're married to because god in his infinite wisdom from the beginning of time brought you two together that was his purpose know that right now they are perfect for you are they perfect no but guess what neither are you 
And that's where God's grace comes in. And the miracle of God taking two people and making them into one and watching as he changes us to glorify his name. That's our God. But stop daydreaming about, stop daydreaming about winning the lottery, okay? You say, well, how can that be sinful? Because we're not content with what God gives us, Right? And then we start thinking about, well, what would I do with all that money? And if you're a Christian, the first thing is you have to give up the tithe to the church, right? So then that makes it okay to win the lottery and think about it because I would tithe anyway, right? So what happens is we start, we start having this discontentment with what God has provided. And we want a newer car and a bigger house. And we want to travel over here, London, to watch a Packer game. <laughs> And so what happens is, is that you start, you, you, you give this forethought sometimes to good things. Sometimes it's evil. You watch, if you're looking at pornography, you're thinking about that. Forethought, and it's going to lead you into sin. So if you want to put on Christ, have no forethought. Part of that is having no forethought of how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Stop it. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? taking those thoughts captive. My life would just be better if, no, I can imagine that. Boy, and you wonder why we fall into those things. Because we've thought about it. Make no forethought. You see, the Christian life is not just a wakeful, alert life, but it is a spiritual battle. Remember last week when I said we were talking about the debt of love that we owe and we said, listen, every time you have a debt, you signed up for it somehow. I said, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this, this debt of love. I said, well, when you became a Christian, you did because of what happened with Christ and what he's done for you. Same thing here. You didn't sign up for this battle, but you're in it. It doesn't matter what you You're in this battle. There's a spiritual battle and you've been given armor. So whether you signed up with it or not, or whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you are in an unseen battle, and the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his plan for your life. So when you're tempted to walk in sin, remember, what's the plan there? To make you happy? No. To fulfill your desires? No. It's to kill, steal, and destroy you. That's the plan of the enemy in our lives. And we're in a spiritual battle, and that's the way it is. And the enemy will do anything to cause us to stumble and fall, to hurt our Savior. And that's the battle we're in. How do you make it through that battle? With all the ups and all the downs. It's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, live holy. Be awake. Be awake. Don't tolerate sin. Pursue holiness. Live holy, love others, love them. Your enemies, all that God has listed, love others in this present time in light of the fact that Jesus is returning. That's how we can do this. You know, the thing that I've learned through the book of Romans that is so amazing that I never saw before, if this is one thing I took from the book of Romans, it's this. When Paul is talking about the battles that we're in, about walking in holiness, when he's talking about persevering, he's telling us to, look at, to do two things. He says, look back. Remember where you came from. 
Think about that. And then he always says, and look ahead to what's coming. And he's doing it again here. He's saying, this ups and down crazy life, this battle that we're in, it's so easy to get consumed by that and just look at that and see the battle that we get caught up in it and we get discouraged. But we got to remember, we see how it all ends. He's coming again. The Lion of Judah is coming. The world is not in control. God is. And he's moving all of human history to this point where the Lord Jesus Christ will be exalted, where every knee will bow, every tongue confess. That's what God is doing. He is doing this work. And we were made for a time such as this, brothers and sisters. This is a time that God made us for. And if this is the end time, glory to God. Glory to God because he has count you faithful to be a part of this. Will we see him coming through the clouds? I don't know, but maybe today he will. What a privilege that if we are in the end times, God has placed us in this place in history for his glory, and he's going to use us for his purposes to draw praise to his name. Take a look at these verses here. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. Doesn't that sound familiar? But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to, you, come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus there. But this was directed towards the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And we are true Israel. And he's saying, you know what? I've made you for a time such as this. Don't you worry. You know how it ends. No matter what the ups and downs are, personally or nationally or worldwide, it doesn't matter. You know how it ends. Remember that. Remember that. And that will help you get through all these ups and downs, all the darts that the enemy throws at you to, to, to question your faith, to question who God is, to question everything else. Keep your eyes on who Jesus is. He's coming. Glory to God, he's coming. Brothers and sisters, the, talk is, the clock is ticking. Night, this present evil age is almost gone. And the day of the Lord is near. So shake off, shake off that spiritual drowsiness. Take it off. Put on the armor of light by putting on Christ and making no provision for the flesh. Don't waste time, but serve so that you'll be found faithful when Jesus returns. And it's only by his grace that this can be done. But I want you to know this. It can be done, or God's word wouldn't say we couldn't do it by his strength. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of all that you are. We praise you that 2,000 years ago you came the first time. Lord, you came and paid for our salvation. Lord, you came and you made a way where there was no way. And Lord, you continue to work in our hearts, drawing us to yourself, 
sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. And there's a time in the future where we will be glorified with you, Lord. Our salvation complete, final. Lord, we praise you. I ask that you would please forgive me and anybody else in here who we forget what the end is, which causes us to be consumed with worry and fear and anxiety and what's happening now. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to remember that someday you, the Lion of Judah, will come back again and you will establish your kingdom forever where you will rule and reign for all eternity. God, we exalt your name today. We praise you. We worship you. And we ask you to work these truths deep in our heart so they will truly affect the way we live day by day and moment by moment. And do this, God, so that your name would be glorified through our lives and we would find our joy in who you are and not what we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and